Support for the future of what comes from True West, presenting Dave Rawlings' Machine in concert at Portland's Crystal Ballroom. October 22nd, Jillian Welch and Dave Rawlings return to Portland in support of their new album, Nashville Obsolete. You can see Dave Rawlings' Machine October 22nd at the Crystal Ballroom by going to CascadeTickets.com. Support also comes from Revolution Hall, presenting Wild Child and Max Frost in concert at Portland's Revolution Hall, October 16th. See Wild Child and Max Frost this October 16th at Revolution Hall by going to revolutionhallpdx.com. And from the Academy Theater in Montevilla, offering beer, wine, soft drinks, popcorn, pizza, even delicious hot dogs. You can find all of that, plus some of the best movies in town at the Academy Theater in Montevilla. AcademyTheaterPDX.com. The National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences is more commonly known as the Recording Academy. And the Recording Academy is even more commonly known as the people who bring you the Grammy Awards. If you write and record songs, you can become a member of the Recording Academy. And indeed, the membership is largely musicians, songwriters, producers, and engineers. Although there are people like me, label owners, managers, sound designers, and others. And if you're a voting member, you can vote for the Grammys. But the Recording Academy does a lot more than just put on the biggest music show of the year. They also run Music Cares, which provides assistance for musicians and others in crisis, whether financial, medical, or personal, and they represent artists and others on Capitol Hill via their Advocacy and Government Relations Office. On October 14, 2015, the Recording Academy will hold their second annual Grammys in My District event, in which members of the Academy visit their representatives to talk about issues that concern the music community. Lawmakers don't often get a chance to talk to musicians face-to-face, so this event is an important way for the music community to get heard. Brandon Bush is a musician, composer, and producer. He currently plays with the band Sugarland. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us on The Future of What? Thank you, Portia. I'm glad to be here. Me too. So tell us about your involvement with the Recording Academy. Well, I, uh, that's a many-faceted thing. I currently sit on the national board. I'm a trustee and done so for the past three years, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, prior to that, I've also sat on the local Atlanta boards. So there's 12 chapters in the Recording Academy, and they each have their own boards. So I've done board work there. And then I am the uh, chair of the advocacy committee, and I sit on a membership committee, and then a n- numerous other committees that you end up getting roped into when you do volunteer work. Absolutely. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a good example of someone who has drunk the Kool-Aid, so to speak. <laughs> a bit of a lifer there, I'm afraid. Uh, no doubt. So was it the National Advocacy Committee that sort of brainstormed Grammys in my district? Well, it actually was driven by our advocacy staff. So we haven't had a full-time committee that's worked in advocacy until recently. 
and it's actually an evolving thing right now. But there's been full-time staffers and a D.C. office dedicated to doing the advocacy work. The idea of having elected leadership have a voice in that is, is a growing idea right now, and that's why that I'm currently a chair of that committee and working towards that. Great. So you want to tell us about this upcoming Grammys in my district? What's your plan in Atlanta? How many people have you got going out and what's going on? We're going to have a total panic is what we're doing. (laughs) This is is one of those things that's like a great idea that then everybody says yes to. And then you you have a problem, one of those really good problems. But we, you know, nationally, we have over 1,600 people all doing something on Wednesdays. And that's 330 districts, I think. Mm-hmm. There's been, this is unprecedented, this kind of ground root action. In Atlanta, we have, uh, I don't have the list in front of me, but I think it's close to 10 different people going out, maybe eight. Uh-huh. And they're meeting in different groups. So every group has lined up a meeting with either their representative or oftentimes you, you deal with somebody in their office because they're so busy. But many of these groups, like my group that I'm leading Wednesday has over 20 people in it because there's so many Recording Academy members here in Atlanta in this one district. And we are sitting down with these representatives and we're having a very friendly chat about the issues that are currently going on in Washington and presenting them in such a way that says, hey, these things are important to us. And you probably hear about them all the time, but they're actually important you know, to this man over here who's won two Grammys for mixing records. And <laughs> For this person over here who's singer-songwriter who plays four nights a week at open mic nights around town, and this person over here who's a symphony musician who has to take on three other jobs, you know, to pay the bills, and these are reasons why. And I think it really helps to humanize those moments, because oftentimes when you talk about music rights and management and copyright reform and licensing, it it becomes hard to understand the, the humanism in it. And I think that's the goal. And that's what's real to us as musicians. So I think it's a matter of just displaying that to these representatives. Absolutely. And you're a good example. You're a good person to talk about issues like the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act, because you have been in bands, you're currently in band, a band and you're, you have been in bands mm-hmm. that have had a pretty good high profile. So I'm assuming bands like Train, you were in the band Train, mm-hmm. have done okay overseas And certainly Train was on the radio all the time. So Train Mm -hmm. never received performance royalties for terrestrial radio play, which I'm, you know, just like everybody else. But I'm assuming that there's money sitting for Train over in Europe because I'm sure there was airplay in Europe. Yeah. So especially bands that have gotten a lot of of U.S. top 40 airplay, something that's, that's been pervasive in pop culture, there's this huge pot of money sitting overseas because we don't reciprocate. Since we don't pay... For all that money that all the records that have been played by overseas artists, they don't pay us. It's very disproportionate. There's a lot more money to come to the U.S. for that. So a lot of that money, though, goes straight to the record companies because what it takes to put on those worlds has been these major record companies that have promoted all these records. And I think because of that, it gets this uh, some of the fair play, fair play gets a bit of a misconception that it's like about a grab for the music business to get its last grasp. And the truth of it is, is that we are all starting to own our masters and we see it reflected in the Grammy Awards. Over 50% of the winners have been indie artists for the past three years. Mm -hmm. We or nominees, I should say, I should correct it. Over over 50% of the nominees for the past three years have been independent artists. Those are people that either own their masters 
or have a relationship with a company that owns the masters that they benefit from in some way. They're either tighter connected to it or it's a much smaller company. And you realize that terrestrial radio, the, the fact that we don't pay to the owner of the recording every time something's played on the radio, we are we are taking money now out of the creator's pockets and those small business investors' pockets. And it's a different game. It's a different chess piece that we're playing with now. I think it's the kind of thing that could really revitalize creativity in this country. Absolutely. I sit on the board of A2IM, which is the Indie Label Trade Association. And we, you know, I think it's been five years in a row now that independent artists and labels have won the Album of the Year Award. And it's It's amazing. amazing. (laughs) But that includes artists like Taylor Swift. I mean, Taylor Swift is on an independent label, which a lot of people don't realize. But it's been, you know, it's just been a huge thing for indie labels. So it it just proves that, you know, indie labels are definitely putting out music that people want to hear. We just aren't, you know, we aren't getting the reciprocity that we need and we aren't getting the radio play that we need. Indie labels have traditionally not been able to have access to the terrestrial radio market in America. And that's just, you know, that's another issue altogether. But it's important, you know, when we talk about popularity, because I think some people think, oh, indie, indie bands, you know, whatever. <laughs> Six yeah, people right. want to listen to that. And it's like, no, millions of people want to listen to that. It's indie with a capital I many times. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, and, and one of the things that, I, that is very telling is that as we do pay in the digital radio format, you get paid for the public performance of a master owner of, of, the, of the song itself. So. And it's very minimal because the market's very minimal and it's growing. But SoundExchange has been sending those payments. In addition to paying the master's owners, SoundExchange has been paying the producers and engineers and session musicians fees on a request basis. Like the Recording Academy said, hey, we want this to be a law. And they said it should be a law. We're going to go ahead and start paying it until it's mandated. And that's part of the AMP Act that's being pushed that, that we're talking about this week at, at Grammys in my district is saying, you know, if we can assure and secure payment for these creatives all along the chain, not just the artists, the names that you hear, but also the songwriters, also the producers, also the engineers, also the session musicians, then you keep that economy going and you'll keep the creativity coming. Absolutely. And that's a perfect example. Sound Exchange, we had a guest on a previous program who gave us the statistic that it took the publishing industry 100 years to reach $600 million in payouts, and it's taken Sound Exchange 10 years to reach $600 million in payouts. So the digital performance right is a huge market, and it's growing every year. It's growing, and it, it continues to prove the same thing to me, which is we do see our industry hurting, and we do see it shifting and evolving, and we do the stories of people opening their songwriting statements and seeing no payments from a million streams on Pandora. You know, like th- there are problems there, but at the root of it, we still love music, and we still consume music. We're just changing how we do it, and we had it's time for an overhaul of that to make sure that we still are compensated for doing it. And the people like myself, but really all the people that I work with that I'm surrounded by, that there's a way to make a living in doing this. And it doesn't just dry up, which is the fear. Well, right. And, you know, small independent labels like mine, you know, our whole goal is to create musicians who can be career musicians, not just, you know, you make one album and then you have to go back and work at your grocery store. Because you can't make a living doing this. You know, that's not anyone's goal. We want people to be real artists and and have 
the freedom and the time to be creative and not just have to, you know, pull down a nine to five and write songs in their spare time. Yeah. And I fear for, I mean, we, we talk about the Nirvana moment. I, I work so much in country music that we're all desperately waiting for our own Nirvana moment. It <laughs> comes along so revolutionary and so true and so honest and bold and, and also with a great melodic hook that we all just, you know, drop our jaws and, and rethink what we're doing. And those moments won't happen if we don't create the atmosphere and sustain the atmosphere for people to be creative and to make and to experiment. And that's sort of my nightmare. I wake up from the night is this idea that we like, that never happens. <laughs> you know, we just, right. we just turn into one track over and over again. But uh, Well, that is a really great point. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing Nirvana yeah. in. We have to have yeah, a Pacific well, you know, Northwest yeah. angle yeah. <laughs> on this show. Yeah. Well, Brandon Bush is a musician, composer, and producer. He joined us from Atlanta. Brandon, thank you so much for being on The Future of What? Thank you, Portia. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you keeping an eye on the Grammys in my district. It's going to be a, a revolutionary way, I think, to advocate. And we're very excited to be a part of it. We keep talking Grammys in my district in a moment, right here on The Future of What. Stay with us. Support for the future of what comes from True West, presenting Dave Rawlings' Machine in concert at Portland's Crystal Ballroom, October 22nd. Jillian Welch and Dave Rawlings return to Portland in support of their new album, Nashville Obsolete. You can see Dave Rawlings' Machine October 22nd at the Crystal Ballroom by going to CascadeTickets.com. And from A to Z Media, with offices in Portland and New York, A to Z Media specializes in offering vinyl pressing, bespoke print packaging, and CD manufacturing for musicians and leading indie labels nationwide. Since 1994, A to Z Media is family-owned and operated. You can learn more by going to a to zmedia.com. 
We just heard Stuck Like Glue by Sugarland. Daryl Friedman is Chief Industry, Government, and Member Relations Officer for the Recording Academy. Daryl, thanks so much for joining us on The Future of What? It's my pleasure to be back. So tell us about how Grammys in my district got started. You know, who had the initial idea? Well, we were talking about this in our office here in Washington uh, a couple years ago. We do a very established and successful program called Grammys on the Hill, which a lot of people know in our community around the country as a time that you come to Washington and you meet with your member of Congress and advocate for the musician creator's viewpoint. And Grammys on the Hill has been going on for more than a decade. and It's very successful. We have a couple hundred people come to Washington each year. But we also thought that we're putting a, a pretty big burden on music creators to do that. We're asking producers and songwriters and artists to leave their studios and their writing rooms and their, and their stages for a couple of days, buy an airline ticket, fly in some cases across the country, come to Washington and, and spend two days basically at their own expense advocating for their fellow creators. We love that they do that, but it is kind of a big ask. So Grammys in my district was a response to that, really to say, is there a way that people all over the country can make a difference and advocate without having to do this kind of travel and and the expense and really the time commitment that Grammys on the Hill is? So we decided to do a grassroots program in district with members of Congress that you have when they're home on recess and they can actually just, you can see them just around the corner in their district office. And that's how Grammys in my district was born. So your first event was last year, and how did that go? It was great. It was a, you know, a test for us. We'd never done anything like this. In fact, no one in, in music had ever done anything like this. So we were kind of flying blind, and we figured, well, we have a couple hundred people come out to Grammys on the Hill, so certainly we'll have at least that many doing this easier ask, really, to just kind of stay local and, and take a couple hours out of your day. And we had the first year about 100, a little over 100 people which we thought was a good start, but we were surprised that it wasn't more. And we thought about ways that we could increase that and kind of get the word out a little more and bump those numbers up. So uh, this year, I'm, I'm pleased to say we, we did bump those numbers up. Yeah, tell us, uh, tell us how many people are going to be talking to Congress people this year on October 14th. Well, this year, thanks to our chapters and our executive directors from around the country who really promoted Grammys in my district, we said, guys, you know, we, we want to we had 100 last year. Let's at least double that this year. So we put the word out, really pushed it, educated people about what would be happening. And we, a couple of weeks before the, the deadline, we realized we had 600 people registered already. So it was like, wow, from 100 to 600, that's so great. And then we looked the next couple of days, and it was 800. And then we looked again, and we were thinking, wow, let's see if we can push this thing over 1,000. And we pushed out one more time, and again, we got more people coming. We got over 1,000 people, but it didn't stop, and it kept going. And people, through word of mouth, would tell other Academy members about it, and, and it grew and grew. And finally, when we closed registration, we had 1,650 people registered, wow. the largest lobby day of any industry that I know of, and we've asked a lot of people in Washington of any industry who's done one day of grassroots advocacy at this level, and nobody has. So it's really unprecedented historic day for music advocacy in all over the country. That is so exciting. And there are 12 Recording Academy chapters, is that correct? That's right. 
all over the country. So there will be 1,600 plus people going all on October 14th to see their legislators. And what are people going to talk about? Do you guys do you guys know in each district what people are, are going to be talking about? Yeah, we're, we're doing um, a lot of education for our membership so they know exactly what the issues are, so they're well aware of the bills that are currently pending. And um, they're all going to be saying the same message, which is reform music licensing in a way that gives fair compensation to music creators. And by creators, I, I refer to the three categories of our membership, the musicians, the performers, the songwriters and composers, and the studio professionals like producers and engineers. And each of these classes of creators have a need that Congress can help address. For performers, it's about a performance royalty. It's, it's incredible that we still in this country, the only developed country, uh, there's no right for the artist on radio. They get paid on digital radio, they get paid on satellite radio. Artists all over the world get paid on terrestrial radio, but not in the U.S. So for artists, it's the terrestrial payment. It's also for older artists, there's a loophole in the law that allows some digital services to not pay for any recording older than 1972. So imagine all the great classic recordings from the 40s, 50s, 60s, and early 70s, and the services out there saying, we found a loophole in the law, we don't think we have to pay digital performance royalties. So we want to close that loophole. For songwriters, we're dealing with a, a very unique situation here where ASCAP and BMI, the two performance rights organizations who pay the majority of songwriters royalties, are under consent decrees that really lower the, the rate, suppress the rate for the songwriter earns. And we're hoping that the Department of Justice will modify those consent decrees. And in fact, they're reviewing those documents now and hopefully will be modifying them in a way that allows songwriters to earn a fair wage. So we'll be educating Congress about that, as well as another bill called the Songwriters Equity Act, which helps songwriters. And for studio professionals, we have the Allocation for Music Producers Act. But an easy way to remember that is it's the AMP Act. And the AMP Act is specifically to ensure that producers get royalties fast, efficient, streamlined, and accurate for digital performance royalties that they've earned. Producers are nowhere in law at all in the United States. This will be the first time that producers have a right in law. So those are the main messages. Reform music licensing, update the laws so that all music creators can receive fair compensation. And Fair Play, Fair Pay kind of covers all of those. Is that correct? Fair Play, Fair Pay covers the sound recording side. We hope that at some point that will also will cover some of the songwriting issues right now. The, some of the songwriting community did not did one of their issues to be separate, and we actually think they should be part of the same Fair Play, Fair Pay Act. But Fair Play, Fair Pay would solve a number of important problems, the terrestrial radio issue, the pre-72 issue, and would also create a rate standard parity across the board so that everybody plays by the same rules. Everybody should, when government's setting rates, everybody should be using a fair market type of standard so that when the government is setting a rate, at least it would set the same kind of number that they would an artist would get in the fair market since they can't negotiate for some of these compulsory licenses. So we spoke to Representative Gerald Nadler back in April when Fair Play, Fair Pay was first brought out into the Senate. And of course, at that time, it was a brand new bill. But now, months later, six months later, it's got several people have signed on. Is that correct? 
Yeah, it does have a number of co-sponsors and certainly is getting a lot of attention. It really, in some ways, I'm measuring the momentum of this bill, not just by what's happening on Capitol Hill, but what's happening in the artist community. I really think that there's been sort of unprecedented awareness of the bill. Uh, you're seeing a lot of media attention to it. You look at the social media aspect of it. Artists from all stripes are telling their friends about it. They're asking for support. Over 10,000 letters have been sent by creators to Congress to support the bill. And if you search the hashtag Fair Play, Fair Pay, you'll see a number of artists from the highest level to folks that are up and coming are actually tweeting about this and really spreading the word about the need for the passage of this bill. I have been to Grammys on the Hill twice, and the last time I went, I was lucky enough to actually go to the majority of the evening events, too, mm-hmm. and it is so fun. It was, like, ridiculously fun. And it's also this, it's just, it's such a special time because you get to see lawmakers interact with musicians, and that's, like, mind-blowing. Yeah, it really is something that we, it's the highlight of our year, certainly, the Grammys on the Hill Awards has become one of the hottest tickets in Washington. We keep it in a, in a very small venue. It's only, well, we've, we've maxed it out to about 400 now, but we have a lot of people we have to turn away just because we want it to be an intimate kind of setting where the members of Congress can actually walk up to the musicians and exchange uh, stories about the songs. And last year we had Alicia Keys, as you know, and just fun to see her interact with members of Congress. And then older artists who've you know made those classic recordings like Eddie Money and artists like Kirk Whalem who've, who've told great stories about working on so many great records as well as his own solo work. So it's this incredible mix. It's music's most interesting mix of, it's Washington's most interesting mix of music and politics. And it's just a lot of fun too. So I think, you know, having had that experience of going to Grammys on the Hill and seeing the joy in lawmakers' eyes when they, you know, meet Sam from Sam and Dave and just some incredible situations like that. I think this Grammys in my district is going to be a pretty powerful experience, I think, because, I, you know, I don't, I don't think lawmakers get to meet music creators that often. That's true. And many of them would be bringing their guitars and other instruments with them to the meeting, which is always fun. But I think what's going to be most surprising for the lawmakers is the reach that we have across the country of music creators and recording academy members. Portia, you mentioned that we have 12 chapters, that our 22,000 members are actually spread over all, you know, the entire country. And of those 1,650 advocates who will be knocking on their congressmen's doors on the 14th, we're hitting over 350 districts. So that means everywhere in this country we have music creators. So what I think a lot of the lawmakers may be surprised to learn that, sure, if you're in Southern California or New York City or Nashville or Memphis, yeah, you know you're going to get a knock on your door from a Recording Academy Grammys in my district member. But if you're in Oklahoma and you're in South Dakota and anywhere in this country, the same thing's going to happen. And we hope that message will get through that music creators are everywhere. They're paying attention to these issues. They vote. They watch what their congressman is doing, and they hope that their congressperson will do the right thing. I agree. And, you know, music is so visible in this culture. You, it's, it's really what people think about when they think about America is a net cultural exporter. And one of the biggest exports we have is music. So, you know, it's I feel like people who make music really matter. And it's funny that in a lot of districts, they kind of are invisible because you don't think of Indianapolis or whatever, Oklahoma as being big creator centers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they really it's, there's music everywhere. Yeah. The, uh, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, who's the man who's really overseeing the entire 
review of the Copyright Act, which affects us, of course, is uh, Bob Goodlap from Roanoke, Virginia, and we brought a number of songwriters from his district, and I think he was delighted to learn that, that these folks were there. He wasn't, you know, people aren't necessarily associating, you know, Roanoke, Virginia with the music industry, but we're everywhere. We really do have music creators in every district in this country. So what's the time frame that we're looking at with bills like Fair Play, Fair Pay? I mean, when, you know, when can we expect that to go to a vote or is, is it is still in the beginning stages? Well, it was just introduced and Congress time is not like normal time. <laughs> Things move uh, sometimes at a very deliberative pace. But to give you a sense of the one, we never know the answer to this, this question, of course, because it's really up to Congress what else is on their agenda. But you know, one measurement of time is that Chairman Goodlap, who I just mentioned, who's really leading the effort on reviewing the entire Copyright Act and who has had a number of hearings on copyright, including two on specifically on music, where the Recording Academy had witnesses testifying. He has a six-year term as chairman of that committee, and he's right in the middle of it now. So if you look at the first half of his term, there's a lot of fact-finding. He did 20 hearings with 100 witnesses, did a lot of individual stakeholder meetings, and now he's doing listening sessions around the country. And then we believe the next half of his term is really when the metal and, and we kind of get legislation moving. So we hope that in the next year or two, this will be the time to really move the legislation forward. Daryl Friedman is Chief Industry, Government, and Member Relations Officer for the Recording Academy. Daryl, thank you so much for joining us again on The Future of What? Always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, Portia. We keep talking Grammys in my district in a moment, right here on The Future of What. Stay with us. It ain't necessarily so. It ain't necessarily so. The things that you liable to read in the Bible, it ain't necessarily so.
Thing on. Hi, I'm John Sepulveda, producer of The Future of What, and guess what? We have tickets, free tickets, to go see Wild Child this October 16th. These tickets come courtesy of our friends over at True West. If you would like to see Wild Child for free at Revolution Hall, this is the number to call. The first three callers at 310-980-0032, 310 Get tickets to bring one guest to see Wild Child. Do it. It Ain't Necessarily So, off Chris Orlowski's new album, The Gershwin Sessions. Chris Orlowski is a singer-songwriter from Seattle. He joins us via Skype. Chris, thanks for being on The Future of What? Portia, it is an honor to be here. Aw, so nice. So you just released The Gershwin Sessions Volume 1, and we just played It Ain't Necessarily So, off that album. And it is awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I really love it. So can you tell us a little bit about how you came to decide to make this album? Yeah, so it started as a business thing. I, I went full-time with music in February, and my publisher reached out. He said, hey, we just got the copyrights for Gershwin. And I was like, what's Gershwin? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was, Heretic. I was, yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> but I got to be honest, you know, I can't just, I can't lie and say I knew who, who it was. And then really? I listened to it, and I was blown away. I was like, these songwriters are amazing. It's a, it's a duo. Yep. Uh, George and I are Gershwin. One writes lyrics, one writes all the music. And so I, I got together with the producer. We basically would like kind of write out, sketch out the song. I'd change some melodies and some arrangements. And then he would just go with it and do all the instrumentation. We had so much fun doing one song that we ended up just deciding to do a whole EP. We did six songs. So it was a blast. Cool. Well, it sounds terrific. So I'm glad you did that. Thank you. Thanks. Do you have an album upcoming that you want to talk about? Or? Right now, like the only other thing I'm doing, which is pretty unique in Seattle, is this 12-month series uh, at the Smith Tower. Oh. Where it only There's only 40 tickets available every month, and I bring in a special guest artist every month with me. And it's kind of a, you know you know how they people are always saying bigger is better, you've got to get in front of as many people as possible. I'm kind of looking at music in a different way and saying, well, you know, let's make it as intimate as possible. It's, let's make the connection between the artist and the fans that much closer, you know? 
it's, I did one event on Saturday and it was just, it was magic playing at the top of a skyscraper, (laughs) you know, everybody kind of forgets everything else and just focuses on the music. It's beautiful. Wow. That sounds fantastic. So it's the Smith Tower Sessions? Yeah, Smith Tower Sessions. And we actually just did the Gershwin whole EP last, that Saturday as like kind of the release show. So it's doubly fun, (laughs) relatable. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So Chris Orlowski, how did you get into music in the first place? I got into music because I was surrounded by it as a kid. And so I rebelled. And then later I realized that there's no point rebelling from basically destiny. Like I was meant to be a musician. (laughs) (laughs) Your parents were musicians or or they just played music all the time? My dad used to play in the church and like he would do weddings. Him and my mom were like the, they're in like some, I can't remember the author's name now, some famous author's book as like these hippie wedding singers. (laughs) It's awesome. Because I'm from Bellingham, so enough said. But yeah, I've just been around it my whole life. And I I picked up a guitar when I was overseas at my host parents' house and it kind of just rekindled the fire and I've been, been playing ever since. I'm still getting better, you know, I'm not perfect at my craft, but I think that's kind of the fun of it is you... You, you keep learning, you know, something like music. It's, it's a never ending journey. Absolutely. And, you know, there's so many ways to expand your horizons. You can start playing a different instrument or you can play with different collaborators and look at you, yeah. you're doing Gershwin. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it, the fun never ends. Yeah. So today we're talking about this Grammys in my district situation that the Recording Academy is working on. So I just wanted to ask you to start with, how did you get involved with the Recording Academy? So a friend of mine, Bill Gibson, was one of the trustees at the Recording Academy's Pacific Northwest chapter. And he said, hey, why don't you come to one of these events that we do? And it was their annual conference where they talk about licensing, they talk about songwriting, they talk about all these different facets of the music industry. And I loved it. It was a great networking opportunity, but also brought together a lot of like-minded people who were really interested in doing music full time or being involved with arts education. And it was so exciting that I decided to join the board. Cool. That's very cool. Yeah, you're on the board with me of the Pacific Northwest chapter, just for (laughs) full disclosure, so everybody knows. And so, you know, had you really heard anything about the Recording Academy before you got started? Or was this the first instance when Bill told you about it? It was the first instance, actually. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't know that much about the Recording Academy, except when you say, oh, they're the people who put on the Grammys. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And it's still that way. And I really would love for that to change because it's a lot more than just the Grammys. (laughs) It is. It is. And so that's why today we are talking about this initiative that they're putting together called Grammys in My District, where artists all go and visit their congresspeople in their districts on October 14th. And that has not come up yet, but we are pre-recording this show and we'll be airing it after the date. So we're going to air this on October 16th. So it'll already have happened. So what do you feel is important to you about you know, participating in Grammys in my district? Well, as an artist, it feels like it's so easy to f- feel like you're kind of drowning in all of these issues that are, ha- you know, these advocacy issues that I don't really n- know if I have anyone that can help sometimes. You know, the Recording Academy is been a really good gateway for me to start to understand, you know, what is the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act or how are PROs actually, you know, getting money to artists and is there issues with the streaming services? Like these are things that, you know, I didn't always think about before because I was so busy writing music and performing and doing that 
of that course. part of the music that I loved. Yeah. And so you, while, while everybody has their agenda, and I'm sure the Recording Academy has an agenda for the Grammys in my district, which from what I understand is basically around the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act, it's really an opportunity for me to have a direct channel and a dialogue with policymakers you know, that are actually going to be helping us get some of these initiatives through. So it doesn't seem like there's much that would be more important than actually being able to talk with the policymakers and have a dialogue and say, hey, I'm actually the person this will be affecting, you know? Right. Absolutely. And you just said that you went full-time with your music in February of this year. So you're sort of, this is now like, this is it for you. This is your job. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, which makes it even more important <laughs> for me now, more than ever. Well, of course, anything that can affect your income, your current income or future income is going to be a big deal. And just for people listening who may not be aware, the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act is basically the act that's currently in Congress where we're trying to get a performance royalty for terrestrial radio play of songs. And I don't know, have you had any commercial radio play of any of your songs yet? Or is that something you think might happen down the line? Yeah, I think for this next album, it's a lot more likely as we start to talk to record labels more since they're they're kind of at the forefront of artists getting, you know, <laughs> yeah. AM and F radio support. But I've only gotten a little bit, so it really hasn't affected me too much yet. Right. But, you know, even indie artists, people I work with all the time, often get songs on the radio in Europe. And because there's no reciprocity... Yeah. We don't get those, you know, the artists don't get those royalties for the European radio play that they would get if we had a performance right here. So it does affect, I mean, it affects, you know, almost everybody, even if you're not getting played, you know, on Z100 or Top 40, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing to me how far the U.S. is behind on that. I mean, the only other countries that don't pay for master recording royalties on terrestrial radio are North Korea, Iran, and China right now. Yeah, I know. It's really embarrassing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're an awesome company. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously. So moving forward, do you have anything else that you plan to bring up when you're speaking to your legislators? Yeah, I think one of the important things for me as a songwriter and as an artist, for those people that identify with either one of those that are listening to this, is just where our money's going. Like, I would love to see more transparency on how royalty money is getting siphoned off before mm-hmm. it reaches the artist, whether that's PROs, publishers, composers, streaming services, labels. Like, how who's getting what and where does it go? I, we live in such a a transparent age now. The, the digital era makes it so much easier to to track all of that stuff. And so why aren't we doing that? And it makes me kind of question, okay, well, maybe there's a there's some stuff going on that people don't want us to know about. Right. <laughs> the conspiracy theorist in me, I guess. Absolutely. Well and it you know, I mean it, you figure if the digital services have the ability, which they do, to absolutely. track all of their plays, which they must, like that's I mean they absolutely do you know, we should be able to see that data. And I think all of us on all levels of this want to see the data. You know, the artists want to see it. The labels want to see it. We want to know, you know, I mean, if even if, like me, you go through a distributor for your Spotify or whatever, my distributor takes a percentage, but I want to know, well, what did they take that percentage of? Absolutely. You know, it's really important for us to have transparency and understand where, you know, where these streams are coming from and going to, and why are they so different? Like, why do you get a different rate for the same song if it's played at 2 a.m. in Idaho rather than, you know, I mean, it's all very confusing. Yeah, totally. Chris Orlowski is a singer-songwriter from Seattle. 
Chris, thanks so much for joining us on The Future of What? Thanks, Portia. Kill rock stars for life, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Support for the future of what comes from True West, presenting Dave Rawlings' Machine in concert at Portland's Crystal Ballroom. October 22nd, Jillian Welch and Dave Rawlings return to Portland in support of their new album, Nashville Obsolete. You can see Dave Rawlings' Machine October 22nd at the Crystal Ballroom by going to CascadeTickets.com. And from A to Z Media, with offices in Portland and New York, A to Z Media specializes in offering vinyl pressing, bespoke print packaging, and CD manufacturing for musicians and leading indie labels nationwide. Since 1994, A to Z Media is family-owned and operated. You can learn more by going to AtoZmedia.com. That was Flight Risk by Kinski off the album 7 or 8. We went up to Seattle for a Grammys in My District event at the legendary London Bridge Studio, where bands like Fleet Foxes, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, and Alice in Chains have recorded platinum and gold records. When we get there, two producers are trying to fix the speaker to a Hammond organ. 
One of the guys says there's a low fuzz that's messing up the sound. And part of that is whether we pay people or not. And whether, other, you know, some people make money and musicians don't. And I'm in favor of arts in just about every way I can think of. Chairs have been pulled into a circle where Recording Academy members sit and talk with Congressman Jim McDermott. We caught up with him after the event, and the congressman told us that it was easy for him to come on board once he understood the issues. The people who wrote it get paid, and the, those sorts of people get paid, the publishers. But So you, you ought to design a system where everybody who has something to do with it ought to get their fair share of it. Congressman McDermott also gave us his take on why Congress has trouble understanding technology issues in general. One of the most disastrous things that Newt Gingrich did when he came in as speaker in 1994 was to wipe out OTA, which was the Office of Technological Assistance. We had a, was a committee of four Democrats and four Republicans in the House and in the Senate. So it was perfectly balanced. It wasn't Democrat or Republican, no partisanship. And you, you brought in whatever technological question you had and presented it to them. And then they found the answer to figure out what does this do? Is it good or is it bad? Whether we're talking about pharmaceuticals, should we should the government pay for this pharmaceutical? We would ask the OTA. Or if we're doing something in technology, it really taken out in 1994, you realize it probably came out before most of what's happening today. So we've been without, we've, we've never been armed. We've, it's like going into battle without a, without a gun. The good news is that this event, at least, achieved its goal. Congressman McDermott agreed to sign on to the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act. We'll be following the progress of this act right here on The Future of What. Well, I've got a little Honda, it ain't much, but it's paid for. He's got a little Honda, it ain't much, but it's paid for. Two doors is two few doors, two more doors makes four four doors. Two doors is two few doors, two more doors makes four four doors. Most times it's just a way to get from A to B. But B turns into C, then D occasionally. That's when I don't call it a car, I call it an automobile. Automobile, take me away. Take me to the forest, to the mountains, to the bay. Take me where the trees slow dance with the breeze. Automobile, take me away. To Ipanema, to Morocco, to Bombay. Take me where palm trees sway in the sea breeze. Automobile. Our love notes have fallen off the major scale. Lover, it's a sister, love can use a stiff cocktail. So let's take a little trip over hill and over dale. Let's take a little trip, but not by rail and not by sail. Blind spots are on our hearts, let's get a better view. If you can't see my tears, then I can't see you. Darling, don't you call it a car? I call it an, an automobile. Automobile, take us away. To another year, another month, another day To the first time we Slow dance by the sea Automobile 
Automobile by Gospel Music off the EP Duets. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Chris Orlowski, Kinski, Gospel Music, Shoo Shoo, Sugarland, and of course our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. If you have a question you want answered on the show, please email us at thefutureofwhatshow at gmail.com. Our episodes are archived at killrockstars.com slash thefutureofwhat, and you can subscribe to our podcast on Bandcamp. You can also follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Patrol and is produced by John Sepulveda, Will Watts, and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rockstars. See you next week.